Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is traumatic grief and anger, and our guest, Lou Cox, is the founder and director of Violent Crime Victim Services in Tacoma, Washington. Lou has extensive experience as a homicide victim advocate, peer court companion, and as a support group facilitator. He is a chaplain with the Des Moines, Washington Police Department, and in this capacity has endured the homicide of one of the officers. Lou is trained in critical incident stress debriefing and management. He was part of a five-man chaplain team that worked at Ground Zero after the World Trade Center attacks. He is a survivor of the murder of his 22-year-old daughter, Carmen, in 1987. He is also the co-author, along with Bob Bauer, of the book, Coping with Traumatic Grief, Homicide. Welcome to the show, Lou. Well, thank you for having me on this morning. We're so glad you're here, and you've really been through a lot. Uh, Could you tell us something about the death of your daughter, Carmen? Well... Um, like, uh, so, so many of us who have had a unexpected, uh, death, a, a violent death and sudden, uh, the impact is, uh, like being hit with a wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I found that there was no other pain that I've ever experienced in my life is when I got the news that my daughter had been murdered. And at that particular time, uh, I realized that uh, I've been both sides of the fence. I've always picked up the newspaper or watched the the, the news, and and uh, you know have commented when there's been a, a murder in our community and what a tragedy that would be mm. to have that happen. But I turned the channel or or turn the next newspaper page and go on. But at that moment, I'll, I became the headlines in the news, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and it was something that uh, is hard to describe unless you've experienced it. How long ago was that, Lou? That was uh, in uh, August of 1987, mm-hmm. so that's uh, 18 and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Nina, what were you doing then at that time? Were you a chaplain, a victim's advocate? What, Actually, what I was uh, uh, doing missionary work in the Philippines. Wow. And uh, so I um, I was on my way back from a six-week trip mm-hmm. and, and doing crusades over there. And um, actually, my uh, the, the day that my daughter was murdered, my airplane actually broke down in uh, Manila. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they put us up in the Manila Hotel. So uh, I had not contacted anybody back. I, they knew I'd be back in a general time, and so there wasn't a specific date. So I hadn't contacted anybody. So I did not uh, get the news of my daughter's uh, murder until I got off the airplane and went to my office. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, I'm really uh, glad that I did not have that news while I was in the Philippines. They have to have that kind of trauma experience on a 14-, 15-hour flight back from there. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Mm-hmm. What were the circumstances around her murder? Uh, well, she's actually murdered in, uh, in, in, in Hollywood, California. Mm-hmm. She had, she had moved down there and she'd only been there about three months. And she didn't like California, so she was coming back. But there was somebody that she'd gone out with a few times, uh, and she went out with him the night before she was coming back, uh, and, uh, and, uh, this person wanted her to be his, uh, 
his uh, steady girlfriend or you know, or to be engaged because he was from Indonesia mm-hmm. and uh, he was a college graduate from Gonzaga University with an engineering degree but could not get uh, a job because he didn't have a green card. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was the pressure that he put on her and she denied him and when she did, he pulled out a gun and shot her. Wow. Six times. Wow. He shot her uh, twice in the chest and, and four times in the back. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And he still, he is, you know, he was captured, uh, convicted, and uh, he's uh, still in prison in, in, in California. Now, do, do, you know, I know you've become a victim, victim's advocate. Do you have an advocate go with you? Does he come up for parole? Uh, actually, he came up for parole uh, uh, a year ago, uh, last uh, October, so it was uh, 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up for parole, and... Um, and, and I was at the pro hearing, and so he also comes in front of the pro board again this uh, October. So I will be back down there uh, to uh, you know meet with the pro board. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, 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 in his uh, psychological evaluation. He was uh, you know determined a, a sociopath, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, the issues that he has uh, with uh, women. There's no doubt in my mind that he ever gets out that. Uh, Something goes wrong with a relationship, he'll do the same thing again, and we don't want uh, another another family to experience what our family experienced over the last eighteen and a half years. If he ever is released, uh, he got a life sentence, but he still comes in front of the parole board. If they ever release him, he will be deported. Mm-hmm. But that's not our issue because we don't right. want we don't want any anybody in any country to have to go through what we we've gone through mm-hmm. because of his dastardly deed. So uh, how you how did you deal with all this? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you suggest for our audience out there who are you know in the throes of suffering the loss of the child right now in that early grief? Well, uh, <clears throat> when this happened, my life changed 180 degrees. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and being, uh, you know, involved in missionary work, that's where my heart was. My wife and I were, um, in the process of, of, uh, of moving to the Philippines as full-time missionaries over there when she uh, mm-hmm. developed a, a brain, a brain tumor, and that prevented that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my aspirations were still, you know, to be able to do that. But when my daughter was murdered, uh, that that all that all changed because I knew the pain that I was experiencing that nobody understands it unless they've experienced it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that loss of a child, uh, 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 a violent loss of, of, of a child. Right. Yeah. I would imagine the pain is wrapped up with anger as well, right? Well, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anger is, is is part of the grief right. uh, you know, process. You know, mm-hmm. we all, as uh, you know, uh, as human beings, we all experience anger. Mm-hmm. None of are exempt from it. Yeah, I was I was angry. And, and, and let me digress a moment. Uh, people ask me, uh, you know, well, what do you think about the person that, uh, you know, murdered your daughter? Mm-hmm. And I says, I've given that person no thoughts, no credence, because uh, I'm in so much pain right now or her loss that I can't give any thought to who this person is or, or what they have done. Mm-hmm. You know, but what I realize is that it, only those of us who have experienced this type of trauma can actually, uh, you know, identify with somebody else that has uh, had it. Uh, you know, prior to that, I couldn't identify with anybody that had that type of trauma, but now I could. And so my prayer was, Lord, just use me, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as time went on, I also realized that I was being re, our family's being re-victimized the criminal justice system. 
The, the police in, uh, in, in Los Angeles did a wonderful job. It took two weeks to capture the person through a, 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 an outstanding investigation. And they did a wonderful job. But when it got into the system, then we, you know, we, we got kind of left on the sidelines. And in a year and a half, there was three uh, prosecutors that, you know, were assigned to the case. People would, uh, uh, you know, uh, be assigned to a different uh, department, and they'd bring somebody else on. So I'd have to develop a relationship with with that person, you know, and mm-hmm. on, on on and on. Then I realized is that uh, I'm being victimized by this. Other people are, and I also noticed that uh, as a, you know, part of the clergy. Uh, that the, the church at large was pretty much in, inept of dealing with people in crisis. Mm-hmm. And so I went to our uh, senior pastor, told him that I wanted to develop a support group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and here's the reasons why. And so they, 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 uh, you know, give me permission to set it up. And for the next four years, I did that at our, our church. And it developed into, uh, you know, a large support group even outside the church. Now what about, uh, people who are out there right now who need what you've got or, you know, what would you suggest to them? Well, I, I channeled my, my anger and my energy into, uh, uh, doing something positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that I was being victimized by the system. I didn't want others to. And so I was bound and determined to develop a system or organization where I can uh, provide services to families. But I had to learn about the system myself because I didn't. You had to develop the system. How long did it take you before you could really move in that direction? What were you like, uh, you know, months into it? Because for some of those folks out there who are only months into it. Well, uh, uh, hard to remember uh, back. Well, not really. I can recall about nine months after, uh, you know, uh, Carmen was murdered, uh, I I woke up one morning and a reality set in is that, She's not coming back, mm-hmm. you know, because we go through a severe sense of denial because this thing is such a horrific event in our lives that that how could this really happen to us? And so we go through this sense of denial that they're going to call us or they're going to walk through the door and all this. But nine months later, I, the reality set in. That Did you have any to... guilt about being out of out of the country or anything? Uh, oh, um, um, we we all uh, that are inflicted with uh, you know this, this type of trauma have a sense of guilt. I did. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I thought, well, gosh, if I'd have been a better father, maybe this. If I'd have done this, maybe I'd have done, done that. And, uh, and I didn't have the guilt that I was out of the country because before I left, uh, uh, we talked the night before I left for that trip. And then she wanted us to come down, uh, my wife and I to come down to California for Thanksgiving because she was going to cook us Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that. However, she became disenchanted with the area and she wanted to move back, uh, to take care of her. Uh, grand folks who were dying of cancer in Puyallup. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, 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 but, but we all have a sense of guilt, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, you're, you're talking to, uh, you know, a, a father that has, uh, cried, uh, you know, buckets of tears, you know, uh, just like a spring just breaking. I never, never knew a person could cry as much mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, I did at that particular time. Yeah, when they say men don't cry, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. So uh, when I talk to men and dealing with men in this type of uh, traumatic grief, is that I let them know is that you're looking at a guy who's cried a lot. Yeah. It's still just today. And, Lou, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about the denial and grief. I think that's common across the board. When you lose a sibling or a child, you can't believe it happened, no matter what the cause is. I mean, you can't believe somebody can die before 
their time. This is not supposed to happen. You are in disbelief, and I think you do protect yourself by being in denial. I could not believe my brother died at 17 years old, in the prime of his life, healthy. These kind of things aren't supposed to happen to us. There's supposed to be an order in life, you know. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty common. And the guilt, I think, is common as well. Survivor guilt and how could this happen and what could I have done differently. Um, I find in talking to brief siblings, survivor guilt is very common and thinking what could we have done to prevent it, even though oftentimes there's nothing. Well, no, no, there, there, there isn't. You know, uh, you know, um, we can't shadow people. We can't protect them. We can't put an right. umbrella around them. Is, you know, when when my kids were small, and uh, and and, uh, and you know we're you know all living this nice home out in the north end of Tacoma, Washington. You know, when everything was just grandiose and and that and, and, and the thought runs across every parent: What would I do if something happened to one of my kids? You know. And that's a thought we all have in just passing. But then it happened to me, and it's happened to hundreds of others that I have worked with over the last, uh, you know, uh, 17, 18 years. And, uh, and, and, and the impact is just devastating and life-changing. And also realized, uh, Heidi, is that some people never get over it. Mm-hmm. You know? I'll talk about that a little bit. Well, there, uh, you know, we're you know, talking about anger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is that, uh, so I, I have, I have noticed that uh, over the years that those who have a very difficult time in getting over it and getting on top of it and let the, them controlling their emotions instead of their emotions controlling them, they're going, to, they're going to control us for a long time. But there's a time that, you know, you get across a threshold that you start controlling your emotions mm-hmm. and that. And I found that those who did not have a, a, a you know, a, a good relationship or had a stranger relationship, you know, with uh, the decedent, uh, uh, you know, they they have the more severe level of the of guilt and anger, and I've seen it with some people even develop into hatred. Mm-hmm. You know, which can so your health. Pardon me. Which can cause health problems and wreak havoc oh, on your life. Oh, I have seen, I, I've literally seen people die wow. from uh, from uh, from hatred mm-hmm. that it just erodes away their life, their their health, their emotional health. And these are the people that uh, complain uh, uh, more and challenge the system, the investigation, uh, the, the criminal justice system, the courts, and it's, it's constantly challenging them to be perfect in all of their dealings. And we don't have a perfect system. They do err. There is uh, there is mistakes made, and when they do, they just jump on that like a you know like a, a, a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you suggest if, if somebody's got this person in their life, maybe a spouse who is feeling that way, or if they are? What, what, what do you do if you had a bad relationship with the person? What do you What do you think you do with that? What well, do you recommend to people? Well, what what I do is, a, first of all, you've got to get some uh, long term counseling. You know, our, our our support group that we have is is, is good, but it, it, we don't deal with uh, you know these these type of uh, issues. These are real personal issues, and you need some long term counseling. So you were saying that some people, um, uh, you find that if they didn't have a particularly good relationship with a person before, they can have this huge all consuming anger. And I uh, we were talking about how you suggest that people deal with it. And I heard you speak at um, the International Grief Gathering, and you said something that 
I think is incredibly profound. About talk about being at the dinner table with an extra guest. Oh yes, yes. Well, um, when something like this happens in our lives, somebody is uh, somebody is murdered. Uh, that perpetrator, uh, he uh, or she, they set a plate at your uh, table that never goes away. It will always be set there because they uh, they they took. Uh, the, the person that you loved away from you and they've replaced themselves at your table with, uh, with, uh, their plate. And, uh, what, what I tell people is that that plate is always going to be there. But the thing, cause, cause it can never go away. It's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. This incident will never go away. Even though we can, uh, you know, get on and have life meaning again, is that I suggest people don't feed it. Don't put food on that, uh, that, that, that plate. It's there, but don't put food on it, though. Don't feed it. Because if you do, that's when you're going to develop, uh, you know, uh, health problems. You're going to be cause preoccupied with that person. And that person may be dead, that person may be in prison, and they don't care how you feel or how you are destroying your life, if you are. Mm-hmm. So, uh. You're not going to get redemption. No, you're not. That's what, what I, a word I hear people say that they want, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They want this person to, you know. They want this person to feel pain and suffering as they are. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and for the most part, they are, they, they most likely can care less about how you feel or what they are. This person's been captured, they're going to prison, all they do is care about themselves and, and that. And, and, and so, so people have this, uh, idea that if I send all of the impact statements to that person and they have to read them, I send a, a picture and they have to have the picture of my loved one on the wall that this is going to have some pain and suffering in their life, and it, and it doesn't. But what I have seen, uh, uh, only for only out of the hundreds of people that I've worked with, only uh, you know a handful or more have really developed a root of bitterness. You know where it, uh, you know it, it has, for all intents and purposes, destroyed their life. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that I'm thinking of when you say only if you continue that bitterness, it's not um, unusual or um, I don't know unhealthy early on to have some bitterness, right? Well, anger. And anger. Anger. Uh, so you see the difference. The anger is early and bitterness carries on. Yeah. You know, in, in, all, in, a, in, a, in a person, my evaluation of people that develop that bitterness and that, uh, that hatred, and, and, and like I said, it's only been a handful. Most people, you know, uh, you know are angry. They're, good, they're real angry. They could be severely angry. But, you know, that would dissipate in time. And now how, what do you suggest to people who are feeling really angry right now? Well, one thing is that uh, they've got to deal with their guilt and if the relationship was uh, uh, you know, uh, estranged and, and that uh, uh, you, you, you've got to be able to forgive yourself because as, as, as a parent we all make mistakes and uh, we always look in, in, in retrospect is that we probably could have been a, a better job and I tell you you may have been able to do a better job you did the best that you could under the time and the circumstances and you have to forgive yourself that's such a great one again you mm-hmm. did the best you could at the time yeah. With what you had. Even if you have a bad relationship with them, there's some reason. And you did the best, and, and it's over. And I want to tell you, see, that happened in my family. My one, uh, my, my daughter was 22, and the uh, son was, was uh, 23, uh, Carmen was 22, and then I had uh, two other daughters, one was 17 and 16. And the 17-year-old had a tiff with uh, Carmen uh, uh, a couple nights before she was murdered. Mm-hmm. 
And this this daughter, uh, uh, this daughter, her name's Laura. She is still not dealt with this. She's had health problems. She's had stomach problems. She's had gallbladder problems. She's had other uh, other physical problems. And even today, when we really bring Carmen's name up into uh, you know uh, a conversation, which doesn't happen often because she's past tense, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's just the nature of the recovery for us we're not they don't come into the conversation much but when it, when it happens you can just feel the air get thick with her you know mm-hmm. and uh and uh, I, and and I've talked to my other daughter about that too and she says yeah she she really hasn't uh, you know dealt with it and because they had that tiff you know Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have not, uh, over the years, I have really never been able to sit down philosophically with her and, and, and talk about this, you know, to forgive yourself about it, but she won't do it. Mm-hmm. My other daughters come to the support group periodically is and in, in, in is involved with our candlelight vigil that we have every year during Victims' Rights Week, but um, I couldn't, uh, I can't get the other. We did have a fundraiser lunch in September. She did come to that, and, and I think she had a great time uh, there. I think could, that could have been someone to break through for. Mm-hmm. So really, if you, you're out there and you hear what Lou's saying, even with everything he knows and everything he does, you can't control other people. Well, some people, uh, like I said, uh, uh, develop this bitterness and hatred, and you know what? They don't care. They don't care about their own family. They don't care about the system. They don't care how, who they offend, what they say. And, and so in time is that I have to cut that type of person loose from our support group because what they do is, uh, you know, they're toxic and they'll pollute our support group and we can't that's, have one That's what I was going to ask you. What if the anger, because I'm, I'm running a workshop, an anger workshop in a few weeks, and what if the anger is not at the person that died? You actually had a good relationship. It's at the people that killed that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to evaluate that as time goes by. Is that person affecting the group? Well, okay. Because you may have 20 people in a group and you have one person, you know, uh, that is toxic, that is, uh, you know, affecting the group and, and actually scares the group. I'm dealing with that right now myself, uh, you know, in the situation in our group. And so, um, I'm, uh, you know, you, you have to address it because you can't allow 19 other people to, uh, be offended by one person's, uh, you know, so advice to the toxic person would be what? To go to turn your anger outward and go do something like you've done? Well, yeah, you have to you know, sit, sit down and be able to uh, maybe uh, you know, uh, rationalize with them and see if they uh, see what, what their, you know, their problem, their issue is and what's happening to them. And they're probably in denial that they have the anger, but uh, those have to be addressed. And if, they're, if they don't see it, they're not willing to change, then you have to ask them to leave the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what I do is I tell them, I say, you know, you need to get into professional help, and I can, I can, I can you know, set you up with that. Good. I was going to say that. Probably the one-to-one for a person like that mm-hmm. is a better deal. Hmm? Yeah, uh, it, it, it is. And then, let's, you know, and then let's evaluate as time goes on if you, you do get into the counseling and how, how it goes and then to bring you back into a group at, at another time. One of the things I don't want to miss, Lewis, talking to you a little bit about what happens when you are working and uh, and a person is killed uh, in the police department. We mentioned that on the show, so we might want to talk about that. But Heidi, did you have something you wanted to... Uh, Yes, I wanted to address Lou's comment about the ambivalent relationship his daughters had. Um, I work with siblings a lot, and it is so normal, even in the best of sibling relationships, to argue and fight and have ambivalence. And, you know, we there's a continuum. Some relationships are 
have more ambivalence than others. And siblings have a lot of difficulty when their sibling dies because we've all had fights and arguments. Mm-hmm. And I have a great poem that I read that resonates well with a lot of the siblings, and I just wanted to share it with you. It says, Siblings may be ambivalent about their relationships in life, but in death, the power of their bond strangles the surviving heart. Death reminds us that we are part of the same river, the same flow from the same source, rushing towards the same destiny. Were you close? Yes, but we didn't know it then. So I just wanted to give that to your daughter. Oh, I appreciate that, and I will pass that on to her. Okay. Maybe sure. you can even get her to listen to the show. She can download it on her iPod. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so, Lou, we want to talk a little bit about, um, it, well, first of all, I ask you, is there something that you feel that we've missed that uh, you want to mention today? Well, one of the things is that uh, I want to leave us with is that uh, uh, you know people handle uh, anger in you know in def- definitely two ways. You know they're going to repress their anger, uh, or they're going to overly display their their anger. And what I have noticed is uh, those people who are um, you know uh, re- re- um, quiet uh, repress their thoughts. Uh, uh, you know, and that's going to be amplified. They're going to be more repressive. They're, they're going to be more quiet. They're going to be more inter, uh, uh, introverted. And uh, those who, you know, uh, were are overtly displaying, uh, you know, their anger and normally, then the, that will amplify amplify too, you know. And so, uh, they're, and, and both of them can be, uh, you know, uh, self destructive. Mm-hmm. So we live the way we, we grieve the way we live our lives. We 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 do, you know, and uh, and then also, um, you know, in in our our, our family culture is that, and uh, if there's several, uh, you know, children siblings, is that each one has a different personality. Mm-hmm. Each uh, each one of them uh, will grieve in a different 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 way and not grieve the same as the others. And so we can't expect people to grieve the way we grieve. We have to respect how they are, and we don't measure people's. Uh, a grief level by their tears or, or lack of tears, mm-hmm. and uh, because people, uh, uh, you know, uh, are, are prejudging is that if a person doesn't have a lot of tears, right. that then they really couldn't love that person or that uh, that level. I, I thought it was really interesting when you were saying how much you cried because we have the idea that men don't cry. Or yeah. big men don't cry, or, yeah. so that's great. Lou, um, before we end the show, yeah. I wanted to make sure that we people knew what your website is and give us your information on you and how to get the book and you know whatever. Uh, yeah, you can get the uh, the book uh, well through our website too, or uh, actually uh, Dr. Bauer he handles uh, the. Uh, Sales of the of the, of the books, but you can get it through contact us through our website, and that is uh, vcvs dot org. So Victor Charlie Victor Sam dot org. And uh, people, if they want to email me, it's Lou L E W at vcvs dot org. Okay, and you can also uh, go through our Healing the Grieving Heart. Um, Lou, um, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about I said about the murder. Um, um, uh, the homicide of the, uh, one of the officers mm-hmm. in the police department. Uh, Heidi and I were talking about it earlier, weren't we, Hyde? Right. We were just wondering what it's like to work with the police department but that then have a personal loss as well, which is the officer, as you're working with the department. Well, I, I think it was health uh, working with our officers. We're a small department, about 45 officers. 
and uh, so consequently, every uh, everybody in the department and uh, and whether they're uh, they would probably have sixty altogether work for the department, you know, knew this uh, young man, you know, mm-hmm. and so because they're, they're they're close as a smaller department, bigger departments it, it might be different. So, you know, the trickle down effect to our department was uh, just devastating, and it still is. Um, it uh, it has uh, been uh, five years uh, this month, and uh, and uh, we have seen officers fired subsequently from them. The officer that uh, that ended up uh, holding the the dying officer in his arms, uh, he has subsequently been fired. Uh, good officer, but his life just went spiraling down. The, the proper help wasn't given to him. I, I don't, I don't think, uh, and he was a person that we just could not catch up with. He was, you know, uh, you know, running so fast from everything and, and his destructive behaviors and lifestyle. And, uh, I believe his marriage now has uh, been, uh, uh, his, his separation there. Uh, so, so we're saying, yeah. We've had other divorce. We've had guys quit. We've had guys just be angry at each other. It's, it's been a horrible time, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and f- five years later, we're still uh, trying to uh, recover from it. So, what would you say to our folks out there that are in early grief with a homicide, where you know strange things have happened, like people holding people in their arms, and and uh, it's impacted other people around? What what holds steady as you can? And well, what was what people have to realize that are around them, whether it's uh, whether it's clergy, whether it's counseling, like in our department, the administration, is that in the experience that we had is that you have to get long-term help for this this, this mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. and it just can't be short-term, you know, be, because uh, when you have a police officer die in in the arms of another police officer as mm-hmm. has been shot on the on on on, on the highway by SeaTac, uh, you know, airport, uh, you know, this is going to have uh, unreal devastating results for that officer. And uh, uh, and, uh, and another officer on that particular team that w- was on that night but wasn't at the scene also has been, you know, subsequently fired from something he's done. So uh, whether it's civilian or whether it's law enforcement, fire, or, 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 or first responders, is that everybody is going to have to uh, come and embrace that person. And they and they need to go and, and find out immediately. You know, uh, go to the go to the uh, internet and just type in whatever on violent crime, murder, and stuff. There's so much on the internet. You can get information and resources. Right. And and how about a victim's advocate to help those folks out there? Um, you know, police officers aren't keen on victim advocates, but because I happen to be one and I'm the department, uh, you know, chaplain, then then I was accepted. But outside uh, of the blue line, uh, people are not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Well, Lou, be... uh, I think it's time to close our show now, and I think Hyde's going to do that for us, right, Hyde? Sure, I'd love to close the show. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, Lou Cox. It's been, been great having you on the show, Lou. Thank you. It's been great. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.